pleasure, or the hurry of worldly business, or the noise and clamor of earthly cares and lusts and affections, the voice of conscience is drowned, and men go no further than some cold wishes and general purposes of repenting and amending. It is therefore of high necessity that I not only convince men that they are unconverted, but that I also endeavor to bring them to a sense of the fearful misery of this state. But here I find myself aground at first setting off. What tongue can tell the ears of hell sufficiently of their misery, unless it were dies in that flame? Luke 16.24 where is a ready writer whose pen can depict their misery, who are without God in the world? This cannot be fully done unless we know the infinite ocean of bliss, which is in perfection in God, and from which a state of sin excludes men. Who knoweth, says Moses, the power of thine anger? And how shall I tell men that which I do not know? Yet so much we know as one would think would shake the heart of that man that had the least degree of spiritual life and sense. But this is yet the more perplexing difficulty that I am to speak to them that are without spiritual sense. Alas, this is not the least part of man's misery, that he is dead, dead in trespasses and sins. Could I bring paradise into view, or represent the kingdom of heaven to as much advantage as the tempter did the kingdoms of the world, and the glory thereof, to our Savior? Or could I uncover the face of the deep and devouring gulf of Tophet, in all its terrors, and open the gates of the infernal furnace? Alas, he has no eyes to see it. Could I paint the beauties of holiness, or the glory of the gospel, or could I expose to view the more than diabolical deformity and ugliness of sin? He could no more judge of the loveliness and beauty of the one, and the filthiness and hatefulness of the other, than a blind man of colors. He is alienated from the life of God, through the ignorance that is in him, because of the blindness of his heart. Ephesians 4.18 He neither knows nor can know the things of God, because they are spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians 2.14. His eyes cannot be savingly opened, but by converting grace, Acts 26.18. He is a child of darkness, and walks in darkness, yea, the light in him is darkness. Shall I ring his nail, or read his sentence, or sound in his ear the terrible trump of God's judgments, that one would think should make both his ears tingle, and strike him into Belshazzar's fit, even to change his countenance, loose his joints, and make his knees smite one against another? Alas, he perceives me not, he has no ears to hear. Or shall I call up the daughters of music, and sing the songs of Moses and the Lamb? yet he will not be stirred. Shall I allure him with a joyful sound, and lovely song, and glad tidings of the gospel, with the most sweet and inviting calls, comforts, and cordials of the divine promises, so exceedingly great and precious? It will not affect him savingly, unless I could find him ears as well as tell him the news. What then shall I do? Shall I show him the lake that burneth, with fire and brimstone, or shall I open the box of spikenard, very precious, that fills the whole house of the universe with its perfume, and hope that the savor of Christ's ointments and the smell of his garments will attract him? 
Alas, dead sinners are like the dumb idols. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They are destitute of spiritual sense and motion. But let me try the sense that last leaves us, and draw the sword of the word. Yet though I choose mine arrows from God's quiver, and direct them to the heart, nevertheless he does not feel it. For how should he, being past feeling? Ephesians 4.19 So that, though the wrath of God abideth on him, and the mountainous weight of so many sins, yet he goes up and down as light as if nothing ailed him. In a word, he carries a dead soul in a living body, and his flesh is but the walking coffin of a corrupt mind that is twice dead. Jude 12 which way then shall I come at the miserable object that I have to deal with? Who shall make the heart of stone relent, or the lifeless carcass to feel and move? That God who is able of stones to raise up children to Abraham, that raises the dead and melts the mountains and strikes water out of the flint, that loves to work beyond the hopes and belief of man, that peoples his church with dry bones, he is able to do this. Therefore I bow my knee to the Most High God. And as our Savior prayed at the sepulcher of Lazarus, and the Shunammite ran to the man of God for her dead child, so your mourning minister carries you in the arms of prayer to that God in whom your help is found. O thou all-powerful Jehovah, who workest and none can hinder thee, who has the keys of death and hell, pity thou the dead souls that lie here entombed, and roll away the gravestone, and say as to the dead body of Lazarus, Come forth. Lighten thou this darkness, O inaccessible light, and let the day spring from on high visit the dark regions of the dead to whom I speak. For thou canst open the eye that death itself has closed. Thou that forms the ear canst restore the hearing. Say thou to these ears, Ephatha, and they shall be opened. Give thou eyes to see thine excellencies, a taste that may relish thy sweetness, a scent that may savor thy ointment, a feeling that may discern the privilege of thy favor, the burden of thy wrath, the intolerable weight of unpardoned sin. And give thy servant order to prophesy to dry bones, and let the effects of this prophecy be as of the prophet, when he prophesied the valley of dry bones into a living army exceeding great. But I must proceed, as I am able, to unfold that misery which I confess no tongue can unfold, no heart can sufficiently comprehend. Know therefore that while you are unconverted, the infinite God is engaged against you. It is no small part of your misery that you are without God. How does Micah run crying after the day nights? You have taken away my gods, and what have I more? Judges 18.24 
Oh, what a morning then must ye lift up, who are without God, who can lay no claim to him without daring usurpation. How piercing a moan is that of Saul in his last extremity. The Philistines are upon me, and God is departed from me. 1 Samuel 28.15 Sinners, what will you do in the day of your visitation? Where will you flee to for help? Where will you leave your glory? What will you do when the Philistines are upon you, when the world shall take its eternal leave of you, when you must bid your friends, houses, and lands farewell forevermore? What then, I say, will you do, who have not God to go to? Will you call on him? Will you cry to him for help? Alas, he will not own you. He will not take any notice of you, but will send you away with, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Matthew 7.23 They who know what it is to have a God to go to, a God to live upon, they know a little what a fearful misery it is to be without God. This made a holy man cry out, Let me have God or nothing. Let me know him and his will, and what will please him, and how may I come to enjoy him, or would I never had an understanding to know anything. But you are not only without God, but God is against you. Oh, if God would stand neutral, though he did not own nor help the poor sinner, his case were not so deeply miserable. Though God should give up the poor creature to the will of his enemies to do their worst with him. Though he should deliver him over to the tormentors, the devil should tear and torture him to their utmost power and skill. Yet this were not half so fearful. But God will set himself against the sinner, and believe it, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10.31 There is no friend like him, no enemy like him. As much as heaven is above the earth, omnipotence above impotence, so much more terrible is it to fall into the hands of the living God than into the paws of bears and lions, yea, furies of devils. God himself will be your tormentor. Your destruction shall come from the presence of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 If God be against you, who shall be for you? If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? 1 Samuel 2.25 Thou, even thou art to be feared, and who shall stand in thy sight when thou art angry? Psalm 76, 7. Who or what shall deliver you out of his hands? Can money? Riches profit not in the day of wrath. Proverbs 11, 4. Can kings or warriors? No. They shall cry to the mountains and rocks to fall on them, and hide them from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Revelation six fifteen to 17 Sinner, I think this should go like a dagger to your heart to know that God is your enemy. 
Oh, where will you go? Where will you shelter yourself? There is no hope for you unless you lay down your weapons and sue out your pardon and get Christ to stand as your friend and make your peace. If it were not for this, you might go into some howling wilderness, and there pine in sorrow, and run mad for anguish of heart and horrible despair. But in Christ, there is possibility of mercy for you, yea, an offer of mercy to you, that you may have God more for you than he is now against you. But if you will not forsake your sins, nor turn thoroughly and purposely to God by a sound conversion, the wrath of God abides on you, and he proclaims himself to be against you as in the prophet. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, am against thee. Ezekiel 5.8 His face is against you. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them. Psalm 34.16 Woe unto them whom God shall set his face against, when he did but look on the host of the Egyptians. How terrible was the consequence! I will set my face against that man, and will make him a sign and a proverb, and will cut him off from the midst of my people, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel 14.8 Number 2 His heart is against you. He hates all the workers of iniquity. Man, does not your heart tremble to think of your being an object of God's hatred? Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be towards this people. Cast them out of my sight. Jeremiah 15.1 My soul loathed them, and their souls also abhorred me. Zechariah 11.8 Number 3 All his attributes are against you. His justice is like a flaming sword unsheathed against you. If I wet my glittering sword... And my hand take hold on judgment. I will render vengeance to mine adversaries, and will reward them that hate me. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood. Deuteronomy 32, 41 and 42. So exact is justice that it will by no means clear the guilty. God will not discharge you. He will not hold you guiltless, but will require the whole debt in person from you, unless you can make a scripture claim to Christ in his satisfaction. When the enlightened sinner looks on justice and sees the balance in which he must be weighed and the sword by which he must be executed, he feels an earthquake in his breast. But Satan keeps us out of sight, and persuades his soul, while he can, that the Lord is all made up of mercy, and so lulls it asleep in sin. Divine justice is exact. It must have satisfaction to the utmost farthing. It denounces indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish to every soul that doeth evil. Romans 2, 8, 9 It curseth every one that continueth not in all things written in the book of the law to do them. Galatians 3, 10 the justice of God to the unpardoned sinner who has a sense of his guilt is more terrible than the sight of the creditor to the bankrupt debtor, of the judge and bench to the robber, or of the irons and gibbet 
to the guilty murderer. When justice sits upon life and death, what dreadful work does it make with a wretched sinner? Bind him hand and foot, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Matthew twenty-two, thirteen, twenty-five, forty-one. This is a terrible sentence that justice pronounces. Sinner, by this severe justice must you be tried, and as God liveth, this killing sentence must you hear, unless you repent and be converted. The holiness of God is against you. He is not only angry with you, so he may be with his children, but he has a fixed, habitual displeasure against you. God's nature is infinitely contrary to sin, and so he cannot delight in a sinner out of Christ. Oh, what misery is this to be out of the favor, yea, under the hatred of God, that God, who can as easily lay aside his nature and cease to be God, is not be contrary to you and detest you, except you be changed and renewed. Oh, sinner, how dare you think the bright and radiant sun of purity, or the beauties of the glory of holiness in God? The stars are not pure in his sight. He humbles himself to behold things that are done in heaven. Job 25, 5 Oh, those all-searching eyes of his, what did they spy in you? And have you no interest in Christ, neither that he should plead for you? I think he should hear you crying out astonished with the Beshemites, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God. The power of God is mounted like a mighty cannon against you. The glory of God's power is to be displayed in the amazing confusion and destruction of them that obey not the gospel. He will make his power known in them, Romans 9.22. How mightily he can torment them. For this end he raises him up, that he might make his power known. Romans 9.17 O oh man, are you able to contend with your Maker? Sinner, the power of God's anger is against you, and power and anger together make fearful work. It were better you had all the world in arms against you, than to have the power of God against you. There is no escaping his hands, no breaking his prison. The thunder of his power, who can understand? Job 26.14 Unhappy man that shall understand it by feeling it. If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him and prospered? Which removeth the mountains, and they know it not. Which overturneth them in his anger. Which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble. Which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up the stars. Who will say unto him, What doest thou? If God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. Job 9. And are you a fit match for such an antagonist? 
Oh, consider this, ye that forget God, lest he tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Psalm 50:22. Submit to mercy. Let not dust and stubble stand out against the Almighty. Set not briars and thorns against him in battle, lest he go through them and consume them together. But lay hold on his strength, that you may make peace with him. Isaiah 27, 4 and 5. Woe to him that striveth with his maker. Isaiah 45, 9. The wisdom of God is set to ruin you. He has ordained his arrows and prepared instruments of death and made all things ready. Psalm 711-13 His counsels are against you to contrive your destruction. Jeremiah 18.11 He laughs in himself to see how you will be taken and ensnared in the evil day. Psalm 37.13 The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. He sees how you will come down mightily in a moment, how you will wring your hands and tear your hair and eat your flesh and gnash your teeth for anguish and astonishment of heart when you will see you are fallen irremediably into the pit of destruction. The truth of God is sworn against you. If he is faithful and true, you must perish if he go on. Unless he is false to his word, you must die, except you repent. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 2.13 He is faithful to his threatenings as well as to his promises, and will show his faithfulness in our destruction if we believe not. God has told you as plain as it can be spoken that if he wash you not, you have no part in him. That if you live after the flesh, you shall die. That except you be converted, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. John 13.8, Romans 8.13, Matthew 18.3 Beloved, as the immutable faithfulness of God and his promise and oath affords believers strong consolation, so it is to unbelievers for strong consternation and confusion. O oh, sinner, tell me, what do you think of all the threatenings of God's word that stand upon record against you? Do you believe that they are true or not? If not, you are a wretched infidel. But if you do believe them, a heart of adamant that you have, that you can walk up and down in quiet when the truth and faithfulness of God are engaged to destroy you. The whole book of God testifies against you while you remain unconverted. It condemns you in every leaf, and is to you like Ezekiel's roll, written within and without with lamentation and mourning and woe. And all this shall surely come upon you except you repent. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but one jot or tittle of this word shall never pass away. Matthew 5.18 Now put all this together and tell me if the case of the unconverted is not deplorably miserable. As we read of some persons that had bound themselves by an oath and a curse to kill Paul, so you must know, O sinner, that all the attributes of the infinite God are bound by an oath to punish you. O oh man, what will you do? Where will you flee? If God's omniscience can find you, you shall not escape. If the true and faithful God will regard his oath, 
perish you must, except you believe and repent. If the Almighty has power to torment you, you must be perfectly miserable in soul and body to all eternity, unless it be prevented by speedy conversion. Number two, the whole creation of God is against you. The whole creation, says Paul, groaneth and travaileth in pain, Romans 8.22. But what is it that the creation groans under? The fearful abuse it is subject to in serving the lusts of unsanctified men. And what is it that the creation groans for? For freedom and liberty from this abuse. For the creature is not willingly made subject to this bondage. Romans 8, 20 and 21. If the irrational and inanimate creatures had speech and reason, they would cry out under it as a bondage insufferable to be abused by the ungodly, contrary to their natures and the ends that the great creator made them for. It is a saying of an eminent divine, the liquor that the drunkard drinks, if it had reason like a man to know how shamefully it is abused, would groan in the barrel against him, it would groan in the cup against him, groan in his throat, in his stomach against him, it would fly in his face if it could speak. And if God should open the mouths of his creatures as he did the mouth of Balaam's ass, the proud man's garment on his back would groan against him. There is not a creature, if it had reason to know how it is abused till a man be converted, but would groan against him. The land would groan to bear him. The air would groan to give him breath. Their houses would groan to dislodge them. Their beds would groan to ease them, their food to nourish them, their clothes to cover them, and the creature would groan to give them any help and comfort, so long as they live in sin against God. I think this should be a terror to an unconverted soul to think he is a burden to the creation. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? Luke 13.7 If inanimate creatures could but speak, your fool would say, Lord, must I nourish such a wretch as this, and yield forth my strength for him to dishonor thee? No, I will choke him rather, if thou wilt give commission. The very air would say, Lord, must I give this man breath, to set his tongue against heaven, and scorn thy people, and vent his pride and wrath, and filthy talk, and belch out oaths, and blasphemy against thee. No, if thou wilt but save the word, he shall be breathless for me. His poor beast would say, Lord, must I carry him upon his wicked designs? No, I will break his bones. I will end his days rather, if I may have but leave from thee. A wicked man, the earth groans under him, and hell groans for him, till death satisfies both. While the Lord of hosts is against you, be sure the host of the Lord is against you, and all the creatures as it were up in arms till upon a man's conversion, the controversy being settled between God and him, he makes a covenant of peace with the creature for him, Job 5, 22-24, Hosea 2, 18 and 20. 
Number three, Satan has his full power over you. You are fast in the paw of that roaring lion who is greedy to devour. First Peter 5, 8. In the snare of the devil, led captive by him at his will. Second Timothy 2, 26. This is the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience, Ephesians 2, 2. His drudges they are, and his lusts they do. He is the ruler of the darkness of this world, Ephesians 6, 12. That is, of ignorant sinners who live in darkness. You pity the poor Indians that worship the devil for their god, but little think it is your own case. It is the common misery of all the unsanctified that the devil is their god, not that they intend to do him homage. They will be ready to defy him and him that should say so of them, but all this while they serve him and live under his government. His servants you are to whom ye obey, Romans 6:16. 6, oh, how many then will be found to be the real servants of the devil, who take themselves for no other than the children of God? He can no sooner offer a sinful delight or opportunity for your unlawful advantage than you embrace it. If he suggests a lie or prompts you to revenge, you readily obey. If he forbids you to read or pray, you hearken to him, and therefore his servants you are. Indeed, he stands behind the curtain. He acts in the dark, and sinners do not see who sets them working, but all the while he leads them. Doubtless a liar does not intend to serve Satan but his own advantage, yet it is he that stands unobserved and puts the thing into his heart. Undoubtedly, Judas, when he sold his master for money, and the Chaldeans and Sabaeans, when they plundered Job, did not intend to do the devil a pleasure, but to satisfy their own covetous thirst. Yet it was he that actuated them in their wickedness, John 13:27, Job 1, Verses 12, 15, and 17. Men may be very slaves and common drudges for the devil and not know it. Nay, they may please themselves in thoughts of liberty. Are you yet in ignorance and not turn from darkness to light? I fear you are under the power of Satan. Do you live in the willful practice of any known sin? Know that you are of the devil. Do you live in strife or envy or malice? Verily, he is your father. Oh, dreadful case! However Satan may provide his slaves with various pleasures, yet it is but to draw them into endless perdition. The serpent comes with the fruit in his mouth, but, as with Eve, you do not see the deadly sting. He that is now your tempter will one day be your tormentor. Oh, that I could but make you see how bad a master you serve, how merciless a tyrant you gratify, whose pleasure is to set you on to make your perdition and damnation sure, and heat the furnace hotter and hotter in which you must burn for millions and millions of ages. Number four. The guilt of all your sins lies like a mountain upon you. Poor soul, you do not feel it, but this is that which seals your misery. While unconverted, none of your sins are blotted out. They are all upon record against you. Regeneration and remission are never separated. The unsanctified are unjustified and unpardoned. It is a fearful thing to be in debt, but above all in God's debt. For there is no arrest so formidable as his, no prison so dreary as his. 
Look upon an enlightened sinner who feels a weight of his own guilt. Oh, how frightful are his looks! How fearful are his complaints! His comforts are turned into wormwood, and his moisture into drought, and his sleep has departed from his eyes. He is a terror to himself and all that are about him, and is ready to envy the very stones that lie in the street, because they are without sense and do not feel his misery, and he wishes he had been a dog rather than a man, because then death had put an end to his misery, whereas now it will be but the beginning of that which will know no ending. However you make light of it now, you will one day find the guilt of unpardoned sin to be a heavy burden. This is a millstone, that whosoever falleth upon it shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder." Matthew 21:44. The guilt of our sins caused the agony and death of the blessed Savior, and if it did this in the green tree, what will it do in the dry? Oh, think of your case and time. Can you think of that threat without trembling? You shall die in your sins. John 8:24. Oh, better were it for you to die in a jail, in a ditch, in a dungeon, than die in your sins. If death, as it will take away all your comforts, would take away all your sins too, it were some mitigation. But your sins will follow you when your friends leave you, and all worldly enjoyments shake hands with you. Your sins will not die with you as a prisoner's other debts will, but they will go to judgment with you there to be your accusers, and they will go to hell with you there to be your tormentors. Oh, the work that these will make you! Oh, look over your debts and time, how every one of God's commandments is ready to arrest you and take you by the throat for the innumerable bonds it has upon you. What will you do, then, when they shall all together come in against you? Hold open the eyes of your conscience to consider this, that you may despair of yourself and be driven to Christ, and fly for refuge to lay hold on the hope that is set before you. Number 5. Your raging lusts miserably enslave you. While unconverted, you are a servant to sin. It reigns over you and holds you under its dominion till you are brought within the bonds of God's covenant. There is not such another tyrant as sin. Oh, the vile and fearful work that it engages its servants in. Would it not pierce your heart to see a company of poor creatures drudging and toiling to carry together faggots and fuel for their own burning? This is the employment of sin's drudges. Even while they bless themselves in their unrighteous gains, while they sing in their pleasure, they are but treasuring up vengeance for their eternal burning. They are but adding to the pile of toffet and flinging in oil to make the flesh rage to the fiercer who would serve such a master whose work is drudgery whose wages are death what a woeful spectacle was a poor wretch possessed with the legion would it not have grieved your heart to see him among the tombs cutting and wounding himself this is your case such is your work every stroke is a thrust at your heart 
conscience indeed is now asleep. But when death and judgment shall bring you to your senses, then you will feel the anguish in every wound. The convinced sinner is an instance of the miserable bondage of sin. Conscience flies upon him and tells him the end of these things. Yet he is such a slave to his lusts that on he goes, though he sees it will be his perdition. When the temptation comes, lust breaks the cords of all his vows and promises and carries him headlong to his own destruction. Number six, the furnace of eternal vengeance is heated, ready for you. Hell and destruction open their mouths upon you. They gape for you. They groan for you. Isaiah 5.14 Waiting as it were with a greedy eye as you stand on the brink. If the wrath of man be as a roaring of a lion, Proverbs 9.12 More heavy than the sand, Proverbs 27. What is the wrath of the infinite God? If the burning furnace heated in Nebuchadnezzar's fiery rage when he commanded it to be made seven times hotter was so fierce as to burn up even those that drew near to throw the three children in, how hot is that burning of the Almighty's fury? Surely this is seventy times seven more fierce. What do you think, O oh man, of being a faggot in hell to all eternity? Can thine heart endure, or can thine hands be strong in the days that I shall deal with thee? Ezekiel 22:14. Can you abide the everlasting burnings? Can you, can you dwell with consuming fire? When you shall be as a glowing iron in hell, and your whole body and soul shall be as perfectly possessed by God's burning vengeance as the sparkling iron with fire, when heated in the fiercest furnace, some of the choicest servants of God, when under the hidings of his face and dreading the effects of his displeasure, have bewailed their condition with bitter lamentations. How then will you endure when God shall pour out all his vials and set himself against you to torment you, when he shall make your conscience a tunnel by which he will be pouring his burning wrath into your soul forever? And when he shall feel all your pores as full of torment as they are now full of sin, when immortality shall be your misery, and to die the death of a brute and be swallowed in the gulf of annihilation shall be such a felicity as a whole eternity of wishes and an ocean of tears shall never purchase. Now you can put off the evil day and laugh and be merry and forget the terror of the Lord. But how will you hold out or hold up when God casts you into a bed of torments, Revelations 2.22, and makes you to lie down in sorrow? Isaiah 50.11 When roarings and blasphemy shall be your only music, and the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation shall be your only drink. Revelations 14.10 In a word, when the smoke of your torment shall ascend forever and ever, and you shall have no rest day and night, no rest in your conscience, no ease in your bones, but you shall be an 
execration and astonishment and a curse and a reproach forevermore. Jeremiah 42.18 O sinner, stop here and consider. If you are a man and not a senseless block, consider. Think where you are standing upon the very brink of destruction. As the Lord liveth and as your soul liveth, there is but a step between you and this. You do not know when you lie down, but you may be in hell before morning. You do not know when you rise up, but you may drop in before night. Dare you make light of this? Will you go on in such a dream? Dreadful condition as if nothing ailed you. If you put it off and say that this does not belong to you, look again over the previous chapter and tell me the truth. Are none of those black marks found upon you? Do not blind your eyes. Do not deceive yourself. See your misery while you may prevent it. Think what it is to be a vile outcast, a lost reprobate, a vessel of wrath, into which the Lord will be pouring out his tormenting fury while he has a being. Divine wrath is a fierce, devouring, everlasting, unquenchable fire. And this must be your portion unless you consider your ways and speak turn to the Lord by a sound conversion. Sinner, it is in vain to flatter you. This would be but to draw you into the unquenchable fire. Know from the living God that here you must lie. With these burnings you must dwell till immortality die and immutability change, till eternity run out and omnipotence is no longer able to punish, except you be in good earnest renewed by sanctifying grace. Number seven. The law discharges all it threats and curses at you. Oh, how dreadfully does it thunder. It flashes devouring fire in your face. Its words are as drawn swords and as a sharp arrow of the Almighty. It demands satisfaction to the utmost and cries, Justice, justice, it speaks blood and war and wounds and death against you. O oh man, away to your stronghold, away from your sins. Haste to the sanctuary, the city of refuge, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Hide in him, or else you are lost without any hope of recovery. Number 8. The gospel itself binds a sentence of eternal damnation upon you. If you continue in your impenitent and unconverted state, know that the gospel denounces a much sore condemnation than ever would have been for the transgression only of the first covenant. Is it not a dreadful case to have the gospel itself fill its mouth with threats, to have the Lord to roar from Mount Zion against you? Joel 3.16 Hear the terror of the Lord. He that believeth not shall be damned. Except you repent, ye shall all perish. This is a condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. He that believeth not, the wrath of God abideth on him. If the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? He that despised Moses' law died without mercy. Of how much sorer punishment shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God?
And is this true indeed? Is this your misery? Yea, it is as true as God is. Better open your eyes and see it now while you may remedy it. Then blind and harden yourself till to your eternal sorrow you shall feel what you would not believe. And if it is true, what do you mean by lingering and loitering in such a state as this? Alas for you, poor man, how effectually has sin undone you, depraved you, and despoiled you even of your reason to look after your own everlasting good. O oh, miserable wretch, what stupidity and senselessness have surprised you? Oh, let me knock and awake the sleeper who dwells within the walls of this flesh. Is there a soul here, a rational understanding soul, or are you only a senseless lump? Are you a rational soul and yet so far brutified as to forget that you are immortal and to think yourself to be as a beast? That perish, O oh, sinners, do not make light of the wrath to come. I am sure there is a time coming when you will not make light of it. Why, the very devils believe and tremble. What? Are you more hardened than they? Will you run upon the edge of the precipice? Will you play at the hole of the asp? Will you put your hand into the cockatrice den? Will you dally with devouring wrath as if you were indifferent whether you escape or endure it? There is no one so beside himself as a willful sinner that goes on in his unconverted state without sense, as if nothing ailed him. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue, Edmonton. That's E D M O N T O N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A capital B, Canada, T six L three T five. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, 
as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.